Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We've got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, they are all lower. The dollar rose with Treasury yields as markets are striking a cautious tone amid political wrangling over the debt ceiling and also ahead of central bank speeches tomorrow in Jackson Hole. S&P 500 index down four, a drop there of two-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ down six, a decline of one-tenth of one percent. Dow Industrials down 23, also a drop there of one-tenth of one percent. Tenure down 8.30 seconds, yield 2.19 percent. Gold down 3.40 the ounce, lower by three-tenths of one percent. And crude oil, West Texas Intermediate down 1.6 percent to $47.63 a barrel. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Got it, Charlie. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. This is Bloomberg Markets. I'm Carol Masser. It is time for the Bloomberg ETF report brought to you by BlackRock. Worried about market volatility? Minimum volatility strategies may be able to help. To learn more, please visit blackrock.com slash factors prepared by BlackRock Investments, LLC. Here at the Bloomberg ETF report, Bloomberg's Julie Hyman. I'm here with Eric Balchunas, who covers ETFs for Bloomberg Intelligence. And today we're focusing on the PowerShares S&P 500 Downside Hedged Portfolio. PHDG is the ticker. It has an unusual holding that has limited its downside in sell-offs, but it's also held back gains. Eric, PHDG has a 3% allocation to September VIX futures contracts. That's what we're talking about. So how has it helped and how has it hurt? Right. So uh, VIX futures are, you know, I equated to hot sauce. You only need a little bit, right? But in some cases, it can ruin the meal. And let me explain. So this is going to give you 3% VIX futures. So on August 10th, when the market went down 1.41%, this really helped because VIX futures went up 14%, so you only lost half of that. However, when you have that VIX future in your portfolio in this fund for months and months, the roll costs are about 40% a year. So you're going to catch very little of the upside. So in this case, you could argue that it's just too much hot sauce and it can actually spoil a meal. Too spicy. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate it. I'm Julie Hyman with the Bloomberg ETF Report. This is Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. I've seen fives and I've seen tens. talk about making money in this environment. We want to do so with uh, a top-performing fund manager, the Hennessy Focus Fund, continuing to beat most of its peers, returning annually on average 14% a year. Let's talk picks uh, that are driving that fund's returns. Ayer Rothberg is back with us, portfolio manager at Hennessy Funds, uh, and he joins us. Uh, they're based in Arlington, Virginia, but he's uh, in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Welcome back. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you, Carol. Tell me uh, a little bit about this environment, which you find interesting. Well, what's interesting about this environment to us is that, um, you know, if you look at some long-term valuation metrics like uh, the Schiller PE or if you even think about a more recent metric like where the S&P 500 is trading on trailing 12-month earnings, stocks are priced uh, quite richly. And we think it's an environment where you need to really practice valuation discipline. And, uh, you know, at the Hennessy Focus Fund, we remain very disciplined on finding long-term compounders, businesses that we think can produce mid-teens earnings growth for a decade or longer, but we want to pay a discount or reasonable price for them. So we're trying to buy these businesses around a market multiple. Ira, how do you determine, you know, a business that's going to provide mid-teens growth for a decade or so when it's really even hard for anybody to project maybe what's going to happen in the next year? Well, we take a really long-term view. Our typical holding period is about seven years. Right. 
And so we're really focused on the nature of a company's competitive advantages. Why does it produce an outsized return on capital and what is sustainable about that? So, so what can the company do that its competition can't? And then we're thinking about what the growth drivers for the industry and the business are, businesses and uh, how predictable are those drivers. And, uh, you know, we, we get out from behind our desks and talk to people who live and breathe the businesses every day and in the industry every day. We talk to a company's former employees, their suppliers, really? their customers, and try to try to get a unique view of the business that really informs our judgment when we're investing for the long term. What will make you – you love a company, the metrics look good, you feel like it's got, got long-term visibility, viability. What will make you all of a sudden say, not for us? Well, we have um, five key criteria that we employ. You know, I, I spoke about the kind of business model we're looking for with sustainable competitive advantages. Uh, we're looking for a large growth opportunity. We're looking for an excellent management team. We're looking for low tail risk, and we're looking to pay a discount valuation. If we start to sense that any one of those key criterion are, are, are de- starting to, de- to uh, deteriorate, mm-hmm. um, you know, we won't be hesitant to sell. So if we saw management make a, a bad acquisition or an, uh, an ill-timed investment. A new CEO you don't like? Well, a lot of times, you know, we're such long-term holders of these businesses that we'll own them over. They'll you know, come and go. We'll come over CEO <laughs> transitions. But yeah. what we like to see is that the CEO has grown up in the business and been promoted from within. And in those cases, you know, if we don't think they're implementing wholesale change and it's going to continue to be a good business, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on the train. This brings you to a name like CarMax. That is one of your top ten holdings. It looks like it's your number three biggest holding. That's so, right. Uh, tell me about it. Stock's down a little bit uh, this year, but uh, what is it uh, that you find riveting? Well, CarMax has revolutionized the used car buying uh, process once. You know, they employ a no-haggle, you know, stress-free environment in which you can buy a car. And they're the nation's uh, largest retailer of late-model used cars with about a 3% share in that segment of the, the used car market. You know, we think they can double uh, their store footprint, and we thought we think they can continue to take share. And They only have a 3% share. That's right, even oh. as the largest. Because it's, it's a lot of smaller players, right? It's very fragmented. Yeah. You know, they compete with 18,000 franchise dealers that sell used cars. Um, and, you know, they're about to revolutionize the car buying process again. Uh, they are going to allow – a lot of self-service for the consumer where mm-hmm. you can complete a financing uh, application online. You can make a- appointments online. And eventually, they're testing this in North Carolina right now, they'll be able to deliver a car to your home. Um, and we think – To try it out or or once you buy it? Well, their current model allows you to try it out um, and test drive it before you actually complete the paperwork and own it. Got it. We think that might change over time where you're actually completely com- completing the purchase uh, o- fully online and then having it delivered. But they – give you a very generous return policy. So you can return the car within five days, no questions asked. And, um, you know, we think ultimately, you know, 10, 15 years out, maybe 20% of cars are bought that way. And that will really shrink their competitive set. There are very few people that can provide that type of omni-channel offering. What about this surge in ride sharing? And everyone's like, wait, millennials aren't going to want to buy cars. Um, you know, the way we think about that is 85% of the U.S. population lives outside urban centers. Right. And when you're thinking about taking your kids to soccer practice, yeah. you know. That, I don't want to do it in Uber. Yeah, don't want to do it in an Uber. Not on a regular basis necessarily. And but even, certainly not if you're living in suburbs. Even here in New York, it's uh, it's oftentimes very difficult to catch an Uber. <laughs> Let's, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about another name that you like, NVR. Um, we're talking about a name, uh, one of the home builders. And this has had an amazing run this year. It's up 60%. How long have you owned it? We purchased it in the second quarter, and it's uh, it's appreciated nicely since then. But, you know, we're not in it for the short term. We see a very long-term growth runway for the company. They are uh, 
the fourth largest home builder in the country. They sold a little less than 16,000 units last year. Mm. Uh, they're focused pretty much up and down the East, uh, East Coast corridor uh, with a, a real focus on the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. What we really, really like about CarMax is, you know, they're... No, di- NVR. So, ah, excuse me, sorry. It's okay. About NVR is that they employ a highly differentiated model. Um, they employ an asset light approach. You know, unlike the typical home builder, uh, they're not developing land on their own. They're buying finished lot options from other land developers, which <laughs> makes them have a asset light model. And they might pay a little bit more for them, right? They do pay a premium, but they can afford to pay that premium right. because they turn their assets more quickly. And uh, they're very focused on lean manufacturing. So they can deliver uh, from the time of uh, order uh, to delivery. They can they can uh, deliver a home in 30 days versus the typical home builder that might take 30 It's like a just-in-time days. inventory kind of thing, right? A little bit? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, no, here's I could... the demand, and now we can give it to you right now, rather than six months later, and oh my God, now the demand has changed. They don't build a lot of speculative inventory. But, you know, oftentimes you go into a new housing community, you can buy a house that's already built. That's not their model. Uh, higher rates, is that going to be problematic? Just got about 10 seconds. Um, you know, I, I'm convinced that interest rates are, are going to stay low for quite some time. <laughs> it's They're still so low. Um, but home yeah. affordability is still quite good. And even yeah. if rates move up a little bit, I, I don't think it's going to change the dynamic. And we recently had a story about millennials are actually going to buy homes, despite everybody saying they're not. So it's the, happening. The demographics of 35 to 44 old, old people is, are quite compelling. Ira Rothberg, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds here in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. They're based in Arlington, Virginia. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio.